And with that, we find ourselves in Luke chapter 21. And we are going to be, um, I thought, as I planned this week, that um, I was going to complete the, finish this chapter today. I'm not. Uh, this is going to be part one of a two-part message. And uh, let me just read first um, verses 5 through 7. And while they were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? Jesus has been with his disciples in the temple. Now they're coming out of the temple. And the disciples, they are They are mesmerized. They are so impressed with uh, this structure. Um, This structure is still under construction. Uh, Herod, King Herod, decided in 20 BC that he was going to expand Solomon's temple. He was going to double the size of uh, what Solomon's temple was. And 20 years before Jesus came on the scene, before he was born, construction of the temple began. Now it's 33 AD. This temple has been under construction still for over 50 years. And it is an incredible monument. In fact, the construction is still going to go on for another 30 years. It's not going to be completed until 63 AD. But here we are in 33 AD, and this is the last week of Jesus's life. And the disciples are are thinking, Jesus, look at this enormous, magnificent building. And Jesus says this, In verse 6, as for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. What? This is one of those buildings that you think is going to last forever. I mean... It's going to far outlive anyone's lifetime. Kind of like the World Trade Center. You know, people would look at those towers in New York City and think to themselves, man, those buildings are going to be here forever. And how long did it take for those buildings to be brought down? Three, four hours max? Think of Washington, D.C. and Congress, the White House, all those monuments in Washington, D.C. Man, they're going to be there forever. No, they're not. Here these disciples are with Jesus, and they're looking at this thing. And this was in a remarkable building. This is what Josephus says about this uh, 
this temple back in Jesus' day. It says, The exterior of the building wanted nothing that could astound either mind or eye, for being covered on all sides with massive plates of gold, the sun was no sooner up than it radiated so fiery a flash that persons straining to look at it were compelled to avert their eyes as from the solar rays. To approaching strangers, it appeared from a distance like a snow-cloud mountain, for all that was not overlaid with gold was of purest white. From its summit protruded, uh, protruded sharp golden spikes to prevent birds from settling upon the polluting the, and polluting the, the roof. Some of those stones in the building were 45 cubits in length, five in height, and six, six in breadth. Now, you may not know how large that is. It's larger than the sea container that we have outside of, our, of, of this building here. There were stones that large, foundation stones of this building. This was a sight to behold. And Jesus says in verse 6, guys, this is all going to come down. There's going to be a day when there's not going to be one stone left upon another. And in saying that, Jesus is walking with his disciples away from the building. And uh, he, he walks with them to the Mount of Olives. And for the rest of this chapter, and in Matthew chapter 24 and Mark chapter 13, we read of Jesus' Olivet Discourse. Now, I want to take more time with this passage of Scripture because this is a very controversial passage of Scripture. In reading this text, in interpreting this text, we must do it humbly and not dogmatically. And as people read this text, they read it from very different eyes, from very different camps of theology. And I am not going to attempt to do that today. I may not even attempt to do that next week. I just want to explain the text as plainly as I know how how over these next two weeks. But as we, we're going to go, um, we're going to look at verses 5 through 24 this morning. Um, and a couple things I want to point out. When Jesus uh, explains to his disciples what is about to occur, they want to know, when is this temple going to come down? What are going to be the signs of this t- temple's destruction? Uh, Jesus is going to speak both prophetically and apocalyptically. When we say that Jesus is speaking prophetically, he's, he's, talk, he's going to be talking about things that are going to happen in the disciples' lifetime. They're going to see some, and these events did occur. And we're going to step back and learn some truths because of those things. Jesus said these things, and they occurred. But Jesus is speaking prophetically, but he is also speaking apocalyptically. He's talking about the end of the age. And when he's speaking apocalyptically, there are some 
things that are going to transpire that our minds can't comprehend. Now, some of the things that Jesus says, yes, we see happening today. But at the end of time, look at verse 25. There will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. We're talking about cataclysmic, apocalyptic events. And when you read uh, the book of Revelation or you read parts of Jeremiah or Ezekiel, That kind of genre, that language is difficult to interpret uh, because there's language that we're not familiar with. And so there are varying positions on what these things mean. But this morning, I want to talk about Jesus' prophetic words. And so let's begin with verse 8, and I want to read through Verse 24. And Jesus said, See that you're not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified. For these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, nations will rise against nations uh, and kingdom against kingdom. Again, he's talking apocalyptic right now. There will be great earthquakes in various places, famines and pestilences, and there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, They will lay their hands on you. Now he's speaking prophetically. But before all those apocalyptic things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and the prisons. And you will be brought before the kings and governors for my name's sake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. And you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends and some of you they will put to death. Jesus is conveying some really hard words to his disciples. Who are the disciples? The disciples are the foundation of the church. I don't believe, church, that Jesus is just talking to Jews right here. He's talking to the leadership of, of the church. And Jesus is saying, these things are going to happen to you, but these things also mirror not only what took place in the first century, but it's going to mirror what's going to come as well. Jesus's words for the disciples are his words to us today as the church. 
And this is what he says. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Then he goes on to verse 20. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains and let those who are in the inside of the city depart. And let not those who are, who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Why is Jerusalem going to be destroyed? It's going to be destroyed. The temple is going to come down because they have rejected the visitation of their Messiah. Look at Luke chapter 19, verses 41 through 44. We've already looked at it before. But here Jesus is looking over Jerusalem. And when, when he drew near the city, chapter 19, verse 41, and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is why Jerusalem is going to be destroyed. Verse 23, alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, for there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led captive among all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. That took place in 70 AD. Jesus is prophesying this in 33 AD and 37 years later this is an historical fact all the temple came down there is not one stone left upon another you might be here and you might be thinking well the foundation's still there yes the foundation is there but the temple itself is gone It's no more. It's not necessary anymore because Jesus is the temple. In John chapter 2, verse 20, again, the disciples were so impressed with the temple. And Jesus says, guys, it's no big deal. I am the temple. Tear this temple down, and three days later, I will raise it up again. Jesus was speaking of himself. He is the glory of the Father. All of the Godhead, all of who God is, is in the person of Jesus Christ. And so the temple is laid waste. Um, there's another um, historian by the name of um, Usibus, 
and he's a 4th century historian. This is what he said about the temple. He said, The people of the church in Jerusalem were commanded by an oracle given by Revelation. I'm sorry, I'm reading the wrong spot. The horror that Jesus predicted for Jerusalem came from the fall of the temple and is a matter of historical fact. The roofs were thronged with famished women, with babes in arms, and the the alleys with corpses of the elderly. Children and young people, swollen from starvation, roamed like phantoms through the marketplaces and collapsed wherever their doom overtook them. And there was no lamenting or wailing because famine had strangled their emotions. Jerusalem could not bury all the bodies So they were flung over the wall. The silence was broken only by the laughter of the robbers stripping the bodies. These were Jesus' prophetic words to his disciples in Luke chapter 21. What does Luke want us to know this morning? And this is where I want to conclude uh, this morning and we'll pick it up again next week. What does Luke want us to know as he recorded Jesus' words here? First is this. What Jesus says, you can trust. What Jesus says, you can trust. These These were hard words. These were amazing words. He was talking about a building that was going to last forever. And Jesus says, no, it's not. It was unbelievable in the minds of the disciples, but not to him. And the building was destroyed. Not only can you trust Jesus's words, but Jesus says following him is going to be really difficult. He has some very hard words for us. Uh, Here he is again. He's speaking to his church and he's preparing, he's preparing his church. He's preparing his disciples for suffering. What does he say in verse eight? Well, in verse eight, he says that, um, see that you're not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. For one thing, there's going to be false teachers. And in the days of disciples, there were false teachers. Look at 1 John. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. You can just write it down and I'll just read it for us this morning. 1 John 2, 18 says, Children... It is the last hour, and as you have heard that Antichrist is coming, so now many Antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is that last hour. Church, we're living in the last days. The last days began with the ascension of Jesus at the right hand of the Father. And even in the days of the New Testament, there were antichrists. But there is yet one antichrist who is going to deceive like no one else. 
And Jesus is warning his disciples, don't listen to them. The time is not yet at hand. But before that time gets here, and he's talked about all these apocalyptic things in verses uh, uh, 9 and 10 and 11. But he says, before all those things occur, one, they're going to lay hands on you and persecute you. And we know as we read the book of Acts that that took place. The church was persecuted. If you read Acts chapters 6 and 7, they took a godly deacon who could really preach and stoned him to death. We read in Acts chapter uh, 4 about the persecution of Peter and John. They're, they're, they're taken before the Sanhedrin. They're thrown into prison. And Jesus says, uh, they will take you up to synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. That happened to Paul. Paul went before King Agrippa Agrippa in Acts chapters 25 and 26. There's no safe haven, Jesus says. You're going to go into synagogues. You're going to think that in the synagogue, at least you're safe in the synagogue. No. You're going to be turned in by the officials of the synagogue because you're a follower of mine. If they hated me, Jesus says, they're going to hate you, John chapter 15. But not only is the synagogue not not safe, but maybe the most um, sacred institution of all, the family, the home, that's not even going to be safe. Look at verse 16. But you will be delivered up even by parents, and brothers, and relatives, and friends, and some of you will be put to death. As a follower of God, you may not even be able to trust your family. And again, what Jesus is saying to his disciples, the early church, Jesus is saying to us today, his words are both prophetic. They happened in human history. It's a fact. We can read about it in Acts. But my friends, it's happening today with the church. We read about it over and over of what's happening with Christians in the Middle East. Muslims who hear the claims of Christ and choose to be followers of Christ And families, Muslim homes, families, they don't want to have anything to do with them. If you're not killed physically, they'll hold a funeral for you emotionally, and they don't want to have anything to do with you ever again. We've heard... We've heard testimony from John Viak, our, our pastor missionary in Myanmar, being brought before government officials and being told not to talk about Jesus Christ. And John saying to those officials, I serve someone greater than you. You cannot silence me. And up to this point, God has protected him. God has protected his family. But it's happening in the church 
today. Our minds, the, the American church, we can't get our minds wrapped around that because we are so safe here. We've got it way too easy. What Jesus is talking about is the way of life for Christians. Remember that um, video that we showed? Um, um, a few months ago, it came from, um, what's the website, the Martyrs website? Voice of the Martyrs, yes. And it, was the, it was the Syrian mother who was praying for revival in their country. And, uh, and it got to the point where God was saying, would you, would you still trust me if, if I took the lives, if I had to take the lives of your children. And she had to sit down with her children and, and educate them, help them to convey what they should say if ISIS came in and said, either uh, deny Christ uh, or die. And the mother was sharing with her children just tell them that Jesus loves them and close your eyes and when you open them again, you're going to see Jesus. Is this the life of a Syrian Christian? That was the question at the end of the video. Is this the life of a Syrian Christian? Or is this the life of a Christian? Church, it's the life of the Christian. And it's my responsibility as your pastor to help prepare you for persecution. I want to encourage you to have a faith, have a theology that leaves ample room for suffering. Because this is normal for followers of Christ. And I believe with all my heart, Jesus' word, he's not just conveying those words to the early church. He's conveying those words to the church. And we're the church. Following Jesus is going to be difficult. Number three, hold on to the promises of Jesus. What are Jesus' promises? Look at verse 16. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. All the disciples that were hearing Jesus' words died a martyr's death, except for John. He died on the island of Patmos in captivity. But he goes on and says, You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head 
will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. Some of you, they are going to put to death. But Jesus says, not a hair on your head is going to perish. You can trust him. No matter what's occurring in your life, no matter how big the storm, how deep the ocean he's led you into. If you're a child of God, my friend, this morning, not a hair on your head is going to perish. Oh, you may die. But Paul says to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We need to have a theology, a faith about us that is rigorous, that allows room for suffering. Because if you're of the persuasion that God is just going to bless me and protect me, and when I'm a follower of Christ, everything is just going to be hunky-dory and I'm not going to ever have any problems. Those are not Jesus' words. Though they may put you to death, you may be hated for my name's sake, but not a hair of your head will perish. My friends, God wants you and I to persevere. How do we prepare for that time? You know, if if we're drugged before officials, um, Jesus says, don't memorize a speech, okay? Settle it therefore in your, in your minds, verse 14, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom, which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. Jesus is saying, just trust me. Spend time with me. Baptize yourself in my word. Know me. Know this book. But you don't have to memorize a speech. Because if you're walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, trust me. I'm going to give you words to testify that's going to leave them speechless. But we're not going to have those words, my friend, if we're not walking with him daily. It's that personal, intimate, daily relationship that will prepare you for the time of suffering. Because you know his character. You know his promises. It may not go according to your plan and you might die. But not a hair on your head is going to perish. And for some of you, that's going to be a lot easier for God than others. Amen? Amen. God has you. These things did occur in 70 A.D. 
But Jesus says, this is not the end. There is more to come. And we will get into that next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for truth. And God, I pray that you would prepare your children. Prepare us, God, for times of suffering. And Father, there are here, there are people here this morning. They're not walking through times of persecution right now. But Lord, they're in an ocean that's deep. And you've led them. You've led them to places that their feet would never have wandered. And God, you sustain them. Encourage them, God, as they continue to spend time with you. Help them to know that not a hair on their head is going to perish because they're in you. God, help us to have a theology, a belief system that's not one of escape, that's not one of avoidance. But God, when times get tough, you give us stronger backs to trust your promises, to testify of who you are. Thank you, Father, for this time of worship. Bless us. Bless each one as we focus on you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?